morning, everyone. I, I should have introduced myself before. I have already just spoken, haven't I? I'm Sam. Uh, hi. Uh, nice to see some new faces in the room. If you, if you don't know me, I am Sam, and uh, I am the, one of the leaders here at Good News Church. And here at Good News Church, we love the Bible. We believe the Bible is God's Word, and so we love to study it together so that we can grow and we can learn uh, together. And so that's what we're going to do just for a few minutes now uh, this morning. And we are in a series called Steps of Faith. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at men and women of faith throughout the Bible who take steps, who take steps of faith, and through their steps of faith, see God's kingdom advance. And we're doing that so that we can learn from them because we want to learn how they act and what they do so that we too can take steps of faith so that we also can see God's kingdom advance in our lives. Amen? Some of you guys are keen on that, others of you less so, but hopefully that's just because you are too busy drinking your, your coffees. Um, so, so we're going to be in Exodus 17 uh, this morning. Please feel free to grab a Bible, turn to Exodus 17. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the tables. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, please take it home. That's our gift to you. And if you know someone who you'd love to give a Bible to, please take one and give it to them. We, we want to give these away, um, not because we don't want them, but because we want to put God's words uh, in people's hands. So Exodus 17, that's what you're looking for. Uh, if you don't know where Exodus is in the Bible, there is a handy contents page at the front, so that will give you a page number as well. While you guys are finding that, just let me catch you up with the story. So what's happened here in terms of the biblical narrative is this. The people of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And God has raised up Moses, a leader, to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so that's what Moses has done. There's been plagues and signs and wonders. There's been parting the Red Sea. And Moses has been called by God to lead his people. And Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt and towards the promised land, this place that God has promised them. And they've had a couple of challenges and trials. And here in Exodus 17, we're going to pick up in verse 8, we find the first army that comes against Moses and the people of Israel. This is the people of Israel's first battle that they've got to have after the leaving the exodus of, of Egypt. So Exodus 17 and verse 8 says this, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so that his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Well, I will stop there in the story. And I want to ask you a question. We're going to start with this question. The question is this. 
who is the hero in this story? Who's the hero in this story? Now, of course, those of you who have been to Sunday school, you'll know the answer to this is God. Okay, and, and you'll be absolutely right. The hero of the story is, of course, God. God is the one who brings about victory. God is the one who enables Israel to defeat the Amalekites. It's God. God is the hero of this story. God is the hero of every story in Scripture. God is, of course, the hero of the Bible and the hero of history. But, but who's the human hero in this story? Is, is the human hero, is it Joshua? Is it the guy who leads the army, leads the battle, takes his sword and goes, come on guys, let's charge and fights the Amalekites? Is it him? Is it Moses? Moses who delegates responsibility to Joshua to lead the army, even though Moses may well have been better equipped to do so. Think this through with me. Moses grew up as a prince of Egypt in the court of Pharaoh. He almost certainly would have had as part of his training warfare and the art of war. In fact, Josephus, one of the Jewish historians, says exactly that. He said that Moses was highly skilled and highly trained in, in warfare. And yet Moses says, I'm going to delegate that responsibility to Joshua. Even though I might be better equipped to do it, I'm going to delegate that because I can see there is another need, a great need for prayer, and I'm going to go and do that, and that's going to be what I can offer in this. Is Moses the hero of the story where he's able to delegate to someone else and go and seek God and to spend time praying at that time? Is it him? Is it, is it Aaron and her who recognize Moses needs support, who recognize the importance of what Moses is doing and so they go with Moses and help him and, and physically hold up his arms in prayer as he's seeking God for victory in the battle? And let's be honest, without Aaron and her doing that, Israel would have lost. Who's the hero of the story? I suggest to you this morning that this is a story in Scripture which doesn't just have a hero. This isn't a story like Daniel and the lion's den where there's just one hero. No, this is a story in Scripture which shows the people of God working together. This is a story in Scripture which shows the people of God releasing each other, the people of God serving each other, the people of God working together to see God's kingdom advance. This is a story which shows the people of God recognizing the importance of the practical, rolling up their sleeves, drawing their sword, getting involved in the battle, and prayer, the importance of prayer, releasing Moses to go and pray. They see the importance of both, release people to do both, and encourage and equip people to do both. This is a great picture, isn't it, of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians about the church, the body of Christ, that we've all got different gifts, we've all got different abilities, and that we use those together to see the church built, to see God's kingdom advance. That we use what God has given us, and we release and equip and empower the others to use what God has given them. Don't you want to be part of a church like that? Mark does. Anyone else? Yes, yeah, some others of you do too. I want to be part of a church like that. A church where we can use our skills and our gifts. We can equip and release others to use their skills and their gifts. Where leadership can delegate activities to other people and focus on preaching and on prayer as we see in Acts 6. That's the church I believe that God wants built here in Wimbledon. That's the church we want to see here. And so... Where, where is it you can serve? What, what is it you can give? We heard last week of the 
kids workers saying, hey, we'd love some more team members. Maybe you could go serve there. Where is it you can roll up your sleeves and, and get involved? That, that was quite an aside, to be honest, but it was such a good one, I had to go for it. Because I, well, that's not what we're going for this morning, but it is important. Let's be that people. Let's be that church. The people I want us to look at this morning, though, well, there's not one hero in this story. The, the people I'd like us to consider, really, this morning is Aaron and her. Let's consider Aaron and her in this story. Two men who go with Moses and who recognize the importance of Moses' leadership and what Moses is about. They go and support him and uphold him and enable him in his leadership. They go and hold up Moses in his leadership so that Moses can do what God is calling him to do. And you might say that doesn't sound much like a step of faith. I mean, it's not being thrown to the lions. It's not walking on water. It's not even climbing a tree to see Jesus. And yet, I believe this is a step of faith because these men recognize something. They recognize the importance of supporting and equipping and enabling their leader, Moses. And they take that step of faith to go and do that. And as we mentioned before, without that, Israel lose this fight. And so I want us to ask this question this morning. How can we, how can we support our leaders? How can we be like Aaron and her, lifting up our leaders and encouraging our leaders? Not just here in the church, although I believe it is for the church, but actually in business, in the workplace, in society, in government, in culture. How can we support and encourage our leaders? And that sometimes will take a step of faith because it's very countercultural. We live in a Western society which is anti-authority. We love to tear down leaders, don't we? Look at the media, look at things on telly, look at the stories we love to read. And I love those stories too. But in our culture, in our society, we love to tear down leaders. And yet the Bible tells us in Romans 13, let's just read this because I think this is important. The Bible tells us in Romans 13, it says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. There is no authority which isn't delegated authority. God is the king of the universe, right? He, he has ultimate authority, and authority is delegated from God to different people. Now, I just want to be clear about this. That is not to say that all leadership and all authority is good, okay? God delegates authority to people, and how people choose to use that authority can be for good or can be for evil. Okay, so this is, this is not suggesting that all leaders, therefore, are good. What I want to say is let's recognize that the authority they carry is delegated authority from God. And with that in mind, let us look to support them and help them to be good leaders and to be the best leaders they can, to be the best leaders in the church they can, whether you're part of this church or whether you're part of another church, to be the best leaders in business, Friends, I, I truly believe that Christians should be the best employees. We should be the best employees. Because we should be living by God's word and by how God calls us to. 
Let's think about this. And what I want to do this morning, I think the idea that we're to submit to authority and to leadership, if you've been part of church for any length of time, that will not be a surprise to you. That's something that comes up again and again in Scripture, particularly through the letters in the New Testament. What I want to do this morning is just look at three very brief, I've looked at the time, Paul sung for too long. Um, not at all, it was great. Uh, three very brief and very practical ways of how. How can we do that? What can we do to encourage and support leaders? Uh, before we do that, just two very quick things I want to say uh, in, before we get stuck into those. The first is this. This is not a slap on the wrist. For those of you who are part of Good News Church, I want to commend you guys. You know, I've been leading here for the last six or seven years, and I want to commend you and say, you guys have upheld me in prayer and in love and in support so well. Truly mean that. I want to commend you for how you have done that. I know I've felt encouraged by you and held up and equipped and loved by you guys. And I want to say thank you. Just take this moment to say thank you for how you've done that. And as I step down and move on and leadership transition here at Good News, I want to encourage you, do that for Paul. As you have for me, do that, do that for Paul. The other thing I want to say, and just be clear about this, Paul didn't put me up to this. <laughs> Paul didn't ask me to preach on this. In fact, Paul wasn't supposed to be here this morning when I was going to preach on this. But as it happened, he is. So Paul hasn't asked me to preach on this, but I just felt stuff. I felt like this was right for us this morning. So well done. Please, please hear that. I genuinely mean that. I felt so encouraged by you guys. Thank you. So the first way, how can we support and encourage our leaders? The first way I believe we can do that is, is with our minds. I believe it all starts actually up here in our minds. Turn with me if you've got your Bibles open to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And in 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 2 and verses 1 to Four, it says this, or verse 1 to 3, actually, I'm going to stop. First of all, then, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in positions, uh, in high positions, excuse me, that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our saviour. Paul says to Timothy, pray. Pray for your leaders. We can uphold our leaders through prayer, through praying for them, through lifting them up. I know that you guys regularly pray for me, and, and honestly, I feel that. I feel that. We can pray for our leaders. You might be thinking, what's that got to do with the mind? Well, so often... What happens is this, if there's leadership decisions or there's a leader who frustrates us, what we can do is this, and I'm guilty of this as much as anyone else, is that we can get a niggle in our mind, can't we? And then we can get frustrated and we can get ranty. Do you know what I mean? You can rant in your mind, can't you, about this person. and get worked up and frustrated in your mind and we can tear leaders down in our very thoughts. We can tear leaders down in our thinking. Now, you might be thinking now, but, but that's not tearing them down because it's up in my mind. It doesn't actually affect anything. If you're thinking that, you're wrong. If you honestly believe that your thoughts don't affect your actions and what you do, then you're mistaken. 
How many of you know, like I know from my experience, that when you get that in your mind and you allow it to fester and you kind of get yourself worked up and frustrated, you allow that bitterness to get in there and you rant about your boss in your mind, how many of you know that it is not long before that starts to affect the way you act towards them? That starts to affect the way you interact. That starts to affect the way you speak, those thoughts that used to just be in your mind, suddenly you're having a conversation and suddenly, I've done this, that thought that was always just in my mind suddenly has now come out of my mouth in conversation with someone else. It starts here, friends. It starts in how we think about our leaders. Now, I just want to be clear about this. This is not to say that we therefore must fool ourselves into thinking all leaders are great, all right? That's, that's not what this is. This is not denial of the reality, okay? There is poor leadership. There are poor leadership decisions. Absolutely. But here's what I want to encourage us to do. Why don't we do what Paul says to do in 1 Timothy and turn that energy that we've got of using our minds into praying instead of ranting. The energy that we're giving to those thoughts and that frustration that we're expressing in our minds, use it for prayer. And I'll tell you this, friends, if you do that, it will benefit you and it will benefit your leaders. What is going to be better for your mental health? Sitting, driving home, going, or praying for your leader. What's going to do you better? Honestly. It's going to bless you and it's going to bless them. It starts in the way we think in the way we think about our church leaders, in the way we think about our bosses at work, in the way we think about leadership in the home, husbands who are leading in the home. How you think is important, and it starts there. We can hold up our leaders like Aaron and Hur held, uh, held up Moses' arms. We can hold up our leaders in prayer. We can use our minds and use the energy that we give to thinking on our leaders to encourage them through prayer. Friends, we can pray for our leaders. The second way I believe that we can, we can lift up our leaders and encourage our leaders is not just with our minds, but it's with our mouths, with our words. With our words. Proverbs 18.21 says this. Someone's moved Proverbs in my Bible. Do your Bibles do that? That book always used to be in that place, and now it's gone. There it is. I found it. Proverbs 18 and verse 21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The Bible says that your words, the words that you use, you can use your words for the building up and for bringing life to people, or you can use your words to tear people down and bring death. James says that the tongue is like a spark and it can spark a wildfire. We can burn up a person with our words and bring destruction. This is all too true of leaders. How often do we see in our media the love of words and the use of words to tear leadership down? Our media loves it. Loves to tear down 
leaders. And truthfully, so does our culture. So does our society. We love to tear leaders down with our words. But we don't have to. Words can be used to tear down and to bring death, but words, there's power in words. Words can be used to bring life. Words can be used to build up. Words can be used to encourage and to equip. We can use our words for good and to encourage people and to bless people. Now, again, you might be thinking, yeah, Sam, but you don't know my boss. He is a proper clown, all right? Honestly, if you knew, I can't, I'm struggling to think of some good words to say about him. I get it. Again, this is not saying that we've got to pretend everything's okay. Oh, you're the best leader ever. You, you, you just, you lost all of our money, but you're wonderful. No, this is not about pretending and lying. It's, it's not about, this is not censorship of the press, okay? That's not what this is, right? We, we love free speech. It's totally right and good that we get to be honest with our speech. But how we speak of leaders is important. And where we speak of leaders is important. In our culture, we love to grumble, don't we? We, lo- we love a good grumble, us English people. We love to grumble and complain, and often we love to grumble about leaders. You guys know this in the workplace, that group of people, you know, a little chat, and suddenly the conversation about the boss comes up, and it's grumble, grumble, moan, moan, complain. We love that. We love to grumble and to complain. Now, like I said, I'm not suggesting that we pretend that everything's okay when it's not, but actually how we use our words is important, and where we use our words is important. In this passage in Exodus, actually immediately around this story that we've read, the story before and the story after, give us some good illustration material. So we'll just go there for a second. In Exodus 17, immediately before the passage we just read, we have the people of Israel. And if, if the people of Israel had a theme tune, a theme song, it would be grumbling, all right? If, 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 you, if you read through the book of Exodus, every time the people of Israel come up, it goes, and they grumbled about Moses, and they complained about Moses, and they made a fuss about Moses. And the theme song of the people of Israel is they grumble, and they moan, and they complain, and they whinge about their leader, Moses. That's what they do in Exodus 17, immediately before this, grumbling and complaining. This is what our colleagues often do. This is what our media does. This is what we can find ourselves doing, if we're honest. Can't we? I can. Put my hand up to this. This has been a challenge for me this morning. It's so easy to get caught up in that moaning and that grumbling and that complaining. Friends, that has an impact. It has an impact on you. It has an impact on your leaders. It prevents your leaders being all that they could be for God. You know, Moses doesn't get to set foot in the promised land. And Moses takes responsibility for that. The reason Moses doesn't get to set foot in the promised land is because he gets so fed up with the people grumbling and complaining that he lashes out. And God holds Moses to account and rightly so. You know what? Your leaders will one day have to give an account before God for how they led. Moses had to do that. And because of Moses' actions, and God is right and just in his decision, because of Moses' actions in lashing out, Moses doesn't get to set foot in the promised land. But I'll tell you this, I honestly believe that the people of Israel had a level of responsibility within that as well. 
This is, again, not to minimize Moses' leadership responsibility. But you know, if the people of Israel hadn't spent the last 40 years grumbling and moaning and complaining, Moses would never have lashed out. Your words have power of life and of building up, or they have the power of death and pulling down. The people of Israel used their words about their leader Moses to bring death and to pull him down and to moan and grumble and complain. Contrast that with the story immediately after the passage we read this morning. Jethro. Jethro comes to Moses and he sees something that Moses is doing in his leadership that is not good. And what does Jethro do? He doesn't go, oh, Moses, can you believe Moses? Can't believe he's doing that. That's not what Jethro does. Jethro goes to Moses and says, hey, Moses, what you're doing there, there's a better way. How about trying this? He goes to Moses respectfully not talking and grumbling about Moses behind his back. Can you see the difference? My leadership genuinely has been improved by feedback from some of you guys. Because you have respectfully come and said, Hey Sam, have you thought about doing it this way? Hey Sam, have you noticed this? Now, we as leaders have responsibility to hear those and take those things on board and to kind of work out what that means in leadership. So my leadership is improved by that. And thank you for those of you who have done that, but you've done it with respect and with tact. And that's what Jethro does here. We can use our words to grumble and whinge and moan and complain about our leaders. Or we can use our, church, our words to encourage them and support them, to lift them up and to build them up. Practice time. Here we go. I want you, I'm going to break this up a second, to think of a leader. Your boss, someone, not me, because I'm not going to be one of your leaders for very long. Think of a leader, someone, a boss, someone, turn to the person next to you and say something which is positive and building up of a leader in your life. Go. If you're struggling to think of a leader, you're not at work, maybe you could think of a politician. Maybe you could think of someone who's in leadership in some area of your life. Hopefully, you guys managed to do that. I saw lots of conversation, lots of people speaking. Well done. That's good. Some of you might have found that hard. You're like, man, the only thing I can think of is he shines his shoes, wear really well before he comes to work. That's fine, okay? Look for those moments. Look for those things where you can be an encouragement. Look for those times. Look to build up with our words. Let us be a people who not only think well of our leaders and use our minds and our energies of thinking to pray for our leaders, let us be a people who speak words of life and upbuilding for our leaders. Let's hold up our leaders with our words in the same way as Aaron and Hur do on the mountain with, with Moses. Again, to be clear, that is not to say we deny the reality, but rather than gossiping and moaning behind their back, do Matthew 18, go and chat to them. Go and chat to them. And thirdly, 
And finally, briefly and practically, we can honor our leaders and we can uphold our leaders not only with our minds, not only with our words, but also with our actions. I have to say, I think this is, might be the hardest one of all of them. Ephesians 6, you're not going to like this passage, so maybe don't turn to it if you don't want to, but I'm going to read it. I thought Ephesians had moved as well, but it hasn't, so that's good. Ephesians 6 and verse 5 says this, friends. Imagine if we took this words, these words seriously. Slaves. <laughs> Slaves. So that's none of you. Just to be clear, what Paul's talking about is none of you guys who are employed and who get paid and who get pensions and who get benefit and who get all those things from your employment. No, no, Paul is talking to slaves in this. So just to put that in context, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Obey. That means do what they say. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, that this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or is free. That's challenging, right? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with a sincere heart as if you were doing it for Jesus. When your boss asks you to do something, Paul says, do it as if it was Jesus who just asked you to do it. That is literally what Paul is saying here. When the personal authority over you asks you to do something, pretend that Jesus just asked you. Now again, I want to bring a very strong and clear caveat to this. I am not suggesting that we are to become a dictatorship. <laughs> okay, that is not what this is about. And if you are told to do something which is illegal or immoral, don't. Go and tell the police. Okay, seriously, I absolutely mean that. This is not just blind obedience. If you are in employment or if you are under authority and they, you're being asked to do things which in good conscience you don't feel is right and in good conscience you can't, look to come out from under that authority as soon as you can. This, this is not dictatorship. But actually for the most part, for most of us in our lives, our bosses, those who are in leadership in church, actually they don't ask us to break the law and be immoral they might ask us to do something we don't want to do but that's a bit different that's a bit different and Paul says if your boss asks you to do something do it as if it was Jesus who asked you I find that challenging and by the stunned silence in the room so do you it's hard isn't it we can uphold our leaders and encourage our leaders not only with our minds and with our words, but by what we do and how we act. As we said earlier, our leaders, your boss at work, your church leaders, government, our leaders will one day have to give an account before God for how they led. Honestly, as a church leader, that is one of the most terrifying things to me. 
One day I will have to give an account for how I have led. I will have to give an account for the things that I have asked you to do before Jesus. One day your leaders will have to give an account before God for how they have led. But do you know what? One day you will have to give an account before God for how you responded to their leadership. One day you will have to give an account before God for how you responded to your boss when they asked you to do that thing. We can uphold and we can encourage our leaders not only in our mind and our words, but by our actions. When you're, let's just, just, let's just do a role play little scenario. Maybe you're at work, your boss has asked you to do something. You disagree with the way he's taking this project. Okay? He's taken a project and you're like, man, this is a railroad headed for disaster. Okay? This is not the way to take it. What do you do in that moment? I would suggest, firstly, let's pray. Let's pray for your leader. Pray that God would give him or her wisdom in the decisions. Secondly, use your words. Go and chat to them. Have a conversation with them. Hey, do you know what? I'm concerned that the way you're leading this, I'm concerned that that way you're taking this project, I'm concerned that thing that you've asked me to do is not going to end well. Take that to them and have that conversation with them. And once you've done that and they've heard you, you've got two options. You can either dig your heels in and make a fuss. You can make it as difficult as possible for this leader to take the project in that direction. You can make it as awkward as you can for that leader, or you can submit to their authority and go, do you know what? Before God, I have prayed for this person. I've raised my concern in a constructive and helpful way, in a respectful way. And now I've done my bit before God. Now they are going to stand before God. I'm going to submit to them. I'm going to help them do this. How are you going to choose to react when people ask you, when leaders ask you to do things that you'd rather not is important? Like I said, I'm not arguing for dictatorship. I'm really not. We leaders get stuff wrong all the time. And it's so helpful when people respectfully and helpfully come and say, Sam, why you do it a different way? Oh, thank you for saying that. Let's do that. Do those things. Raise those things. But friends, don't make leaders' lives hard. Encourage them. I just want to finish with Hebrews 13, which is specifically speaking of church leaders, but I believe that um, it applies. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I love the way the NIV says, that's one I've got up here. Do this, so obey your leaders, so that their work will be a joy. You can make a leader's work a joy or a hardship. You can. And by God's grace, you guys have done a brilliant job of making, by and large, making my life a joy. I mean that. I'm going to say that again. Thank you for how you've done that. By and large, you guys have been excellent at this. But I want to encourage you, let's not just do this here at church. Let's do it in the workplace. Let's do it in our communities. Do it beyond my leaving and with Paul and Aaron as they continue to lead here at Good News Church. Make their work a joy. Make their work a joy by holding up their arms, 
And so friends, let's be like Aaron and her in Exodus 17. Let us be a people who can lift up our leaders and encourage them. It starts in our minds. It starts in our minds how we think about our leaders. Use your thoughts well. Pray for your leaders as we're encouraged to in Scripture. It continues into our words how we speak about our leaders. Do we bring life with our words, encouraging them, bringing challenge to them in a respectful and helpful way when that's necessary? Or do we bring death to them and destruction to them as we tear them down with our words of grumbling and complaining and moaning? Let's be those who build them up. And let's be those who build up and encourage and lift up our leaders through our actions, through our actions as well. Obeying our leaders as if it was Christ who gave us the instruction. Not in some dictatorship type mentality. That is the last thing we need or want. But so that our leaders' lives can be a joy. And so that one day when they give an account before God, you know that you have done everything possible so that their account can be a good one. And let their account before God be, man, these people encouraged me and released me and supported me in my leadership. Friends, I want to say thank you. Thank you for how you've done that for me. Like I said, Paul didn't ask me to bring this. Paul's not supposed to be here, but he is. But let's continue to do that with Paul and with Aaron as we continue in this. Friends, I feel I want to pray for us very briefly and then we'll close. Then I'll hand back to Jackie to close. King Jesus, we thank you that in all of this, you give the model. As with everything that we are encouraged to do in Scripture, you, King Jesus, give us the model of how to act. And you, King Jesus, submitted to the authority of the Father. You, King Jesus, submitted to the authority of the Father in words and in actions. And as a result, we find salvation. As you submitted to that authority, even to the point of death on a cross, so that we might be saved. We want to say thank you, Jesus, for that example. Jesus, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for when we get caught up in our cultural norms of anti-authority and of tearing down leaders? Would you forgive us for those times that we have joined in those conversations which we know we shouldn't have done and we should have just stepped away from? Would you forgive us for those times? Would you forgive us for those times when we've made those in leadership over us when we've made their work hard and not a joy? Would you forgive us? Would you help us? Help us to be the best employees. Help us to be the people who serve wholeheartedly. Help us to be the people who encourage and who build up. Help us to be the people who pray for our leaders. God, give us wisdom in this and may those in leadership over it find leading us a joy because of our attitude towards them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to hand back to Jackie.